You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. Here we are on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. I'm Mike Blute along with Rich Sherman. Hello, it's college football day. I'm fired up. Little Tom Sawyer in the background to get us going, Rich. I'm excited to be here, excited to talk college football with you for the next two hours. We're going to talk about the Big 12 is going to be our focus today, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the number one story in college football last week, and that is what happened at Ole Miss. Hugh Freeze resigns in the midst of quite a scandal. Mm, yeah, that's been a scandalous program for the past three or four years. I'm not surprised that he's no longer the Ole Miss coach. I am shocked, Mike, that it happened in July. If you look at the timeline, the university has had his back. Ross Bjork, the athletic director, has continuously said, we're standing behind you, Freeze. He's our guy. He's going to guide us through this NCAA investigation. And lo and behold, it wound up being an ill-advised phone call to an escort service that did in Hugh Freeze. And, you know, when I think about this situation, I I have to wonder, was was Ole Miss secretly looking for a way out, realizing that this was not going to have, dare I say, a happy ending? Yeah, (laughs) well done uh, as we start off the show with a good pun. So Freeze had $2 million left on his contract for this year, $5 million next year, $5.15 million for the 2019 season. He will not be paid going forward. Basically, it was you can resign or we can fire you. He was going to be fired uh, over a morals clause, so they are out of that. And basically, the job gets handed over to Matt Luke, who uh, has no experience as a head coach, certainly at this level. Yeah, he's going to get an opportunity to audition. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, depending upon what happens with the NCAA. If this becomes such a toxic situation, Mike, if if none of the, you know, the headliners, the less miles, some of the younger guys like Neil uh, Neil Brown or Scott Frost or Blake Anderson, if this becomes such a bad situation from scholarship reductions to more bowl bans beyond this season. You know, Ole Miss might take a look and say, listen, this is one of our own. He's a former player. He's an assistant on the staff currently, knows the personnel. Maybe he's the guy to kind of take us for a temporary period until we can get a better head coach. It's a possibility. But listen, I think this was going to be a bad season in Oxford regardless. You have a young quarterback to develop. Beyond that point, though, this was a team that even even before the self-imposed bowl ban, I don't think they were getting the 500. Yeah, so the SEC is abound with hot seat coaches, and Hugh Freeze conceivably was on it even before this happened. The manner in which this happened is mm. sort of the unbelievable part. Ole Miss had opportunities to, frankly, make this all go away, or fr- or even better said, not have this come to light. There was a way in which they could have done this. This all stemmed from the lawsuit lobbied by Houston not Mm -hmm. towards Ole Miss for defamatory behavior on their part. Yeah, hubris got in the way in this case. Uh, You're absolutely right. It was the the Houston Nuts situation. Houston Nuts lawyer was the one who subpoenaed those phone records. Uh, He had an axe to grind with the program, and now Ole Miss, like so many SEC programs beforehand, uh, trying to deal with some trouble. Yeah, so we'll talk a little bit more about this, but I promise we'll focus on the Big 12 for the majority of the show. It's Rich and I for the next two hours on College Football Today on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. 
It's the summer, but you can already feel the howl of the winter wind. You don't want to go to the beach. You want to break out that heavy coat and head for the stadium parking lot because nothing makes you feel warmer than football season. But you don't have to wait for the calendar to flip a few times at rotoexperts.com where fantasy football season has already started. The award-winning team at Roto Experts has you ready for the new campaign with the return of the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package for 2017. Packed with tons of in-depth insights from the industry's top experts, we get you fully prepared for a championship campaign with a deluxe draft package that includes projections, strategy articles, sleepers, busts, a cheat sheet generator, and so much more. And you're guaranteed additional access throughout the regular season. So put your gloves on now, even while it's hot outside, and get into mid-season form. Go to rotoexperts.com and register for the 2017 Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. Enter code FREERADIO at checkout for a very special discount. We're back at College Football Day with myself and Rich Germanolo. Rich, where can people find you on Twitter? Well, the always easy to spell at Rich Sermonello. That's uh, C I R M I N I E L L O, and I expect absolutely no one to remember that. <laughs> so uh, we retweeted that out, uh, obviously in promotion of the show. So go to FNTSY Radio to hit us up on Twitter if you want to talk Big Twelve. If you want to talk about Ole Miss, uh, you can do that. If you'd like to give us a call, feel free at eight four FNTSY. Talking college football this morning with Rich Shimanello. I'm at Mike Blewett, and please download the app. Free to download, free to listen. The FNTSY Radio app and the iTunes Store are on Google Play. So we'll get back into the Ole Miss thing before we turn the page over to the Big Twelve. Is there there's actually some similarities here between a Big 12 team that we're going to talk about uh, that was riddled with scandal in Baylor. So we now have this situation, and to unpack, there's a lot to unpack, and I know a lot of people, I've heard other talking heads say it's a Shakespearean tragedy in some ways, and frankly, it's accurate because it was the first thing I thought of, that this in some ways was sweet justice for Houston Nutt that this came to light. Now, you never want to see a fellow coach lose his job in the manner that he did, but there are hubris was a perfect way to explain it, Rich. There are many things that got in the way of Ole Miss and now has blown up not only this football program, but could blow up the entire athletic department. Yeah, I mean, this is so common throughout this conference. The the arms race that is uh, SEC football, you could say ACC basketball, is such that the pressure is intense. I I, I wish it wasn't the case, Mike, but there there is this need almost to sort of cut corners when it comes to recruiting. I think you freeze at Ole Miss sort of realized early on that if he's going to get the Laramie Tunzel-esque type player uh, out of the South region, beating out programs like an Alabama or an LSU, uh, he was going to have to cut corners. And at some point, it was going to catch up to both he and the program. And I think it's going to take a long period of time to get out of this tailspin from an athletic perspective for Ole Miss. Uh, and, and that kind of dovetails to the topic of who is willing to jump into this job uh, if it doesn't wind up being Matt Luke permanently. Yeah, so uh, to your point, they – they did a great job with some recruiting classes as far as the rankings were concerned. Mm-hmm. The Laramie Tunsils of the world, Robert Kimdiche, all yep. these types of players were not players that were previously going to Ole Miss. They showed up on campus. You can argue how things were done, but Laramie Tunsil 
through. I mean, it, it was a very awkward situation for him on draft night. Yeah. There were issues before that. All the stuff comes to light during draft night. There's texts being sent around about how his rent is being paid. And it was odd because I think in some ways college football fans have become numb to this kind of stuff, but it was effectively documented that he was getting paid on some level. Yeah, I, I think there's a sector of the fan base. Uh, I'm not a part of this, but I think there's a sector of the fan base that sort of feels that's the cost of doing business. You know, that that is the cost of being successful at an SEC level. You're not going to compete with the mightiest programs across the country if you're not willing to sort of, again, cut corners, uh, to take some measures that other programs won't. And, and I think this is something that, you know, we've obviously seen it over the past generation, Mike. I think we're going to see it over the next generation. I, this, the, these, are, these are practices that continue. It's a matter of who is able to sweep it under the rug, who is able to uh, remain clean, at least from a, from a media standpoint. And in this day and age of social media, man, I, I'll tell you, it's, it's harder and harder uh, uh, to keep that information from going public. Yeah, former Ole Miss coach Tommy Tuberville, he's now an ESPN analyst, called for the Rebels to, quote, wipe out the entire administration. He said, obviously, people knew what was going on. Just get get back to being Ole Miss and clean the slate and get people in there that want to get the job done the right way. He said that yesterday on the Freddie and Fitz show on ESPN. Yeah, it's a great point. But you know what? Doing it the right way, which Ole Miss has done in the past, you know, David Cutcliffe was doing it the right way. And David Cutcliffe, when he was treading water and he was a 500 coach, that wasn't good enough. And they booted him out the door. Uh, So, you know, I I think you could talk out of both sides of your mouth if you're Tommy Tuberville. You could do it the right way, but are you going to be satisfied with six and six and five and seven seasons? Yeah, and I think uh, that really is the genesis of this entire problem. Cutcliffe was there, I think, believe. I, I believe the way that devolved is he was being forced to fire coaches on his staff, and he said mm-hmm. no. So they fired yeah. him too, yeah. uh, which was ridiculous because he's the guy that got Eli Manning there, by the way. Yeah. He went, Ole Miss was completely off the map before Eli showed up, and he got them to some bowl games, started winning. Uh, it, yeah, they weren't winning national championships yet, but he built it the right way, to your point. Now, ultimately, uh, we'll back up for a second and, and just explain how all of this came to light. It seems as if there was a pattern of behavior by the Ole Miss athletic department and coaching staff to feed stories to journalists about Houston not being the real problem when it came in regards to recruiting violations. Mm. That's that's true. Yes, that's what we've come to yep. understand. Yep. Right. So so that happens. Houston Nutt in turn, demands an apology, which I think is fair, because as more investigations came out, it became apparent that, no, it wasn't Houston Nuts administration. It was this active yeah. administration that was involved in these recruiting violations. So he asks for an apology. They basically say, no, thanks. We're not going to do the apology. He lawyers up. His lawyer, as Rich said earlier, subpoenas the phone records in a six-day period to find out what calls were being made. The intention was to find out if they were calling journalists Mm. to feed stories about Houston not being a part of the scandals, the recruiting scandals. What they find is a number to an escort service, which is just one call. They try to explain that away. It's just one call. And then it appears that Ole Miss had to dive in deeper and found a more troubling pattern of behavior. Correct. Yeah, I, I think the moral of the story here. I mentioned hubris in the in the first block. I I, I think Ole Miss and and you mentioned it as well, Mike. Ole Miss could have made this situation go away. Simply, you know, tamp down the anger, the angst of Houston Nut 
give him that apology, which quite frankly, I think he deserved. And this might have died down to the point that we're at now, which is just the NCAA investigation. Um, you know, now it sort of, you know, uh, it, it kind of reached a level of salacious nature in which you freeze is dragged into it. You Freeze's family is dragged into it. This is far more than just a football story. And Ole Miss could have made at least a portion of it go away. But instead, they had to poke the bear. Houston Nutt got angrier. And uh, we now have a situation where Ole Miss is looking for a head coach months before we thought that was going to happen. Yeah, look, I think there is going to be problems that that were going to occur regardless of whether or not this situation mushroomed. And now this has made it far worse, as I said earlier, and I think, Rich, you would agree, this could be meaning what Tommy Tauberville said may very well come to pass that the entire administration gets wiped out you know you had the chancellor of Ole Miss having to stand up there talk about Mm -hmm. escort services it's really about the last thing you could imagine somebody wanting to do although Baylor has some familiarity with something that's (laughs) even worse Uh, we'll talk about Baylor later on in the show so uh, in February the school itself imposed a one-year bowl ban for the 2017 season because they the NCAA notice of allegations accused the the school of lack of institutional control it has now accused the rebels of 21 rules violations They've agreed to forfeit their share of the SEC postseason revenues for this coming season, which could be as much as $7.8 million after it already had imposed a double-digit reduction in scholarships for football last May. So, Freeze had a 39-25 record in six seasons, 19-21 mark against SEC foes. After going 10-3 in 2015, they slipped to 5-7 this past season. You thought they were going to be a little bit worse. You have double-digit reduction in scholarships. You have money that's not coming into the program. Now you have this huge scandal hanging over their head. I don't think I don't think there's any other way than to wipe out the administration and start over. Yeah, I agree. And, and now we start to look at a situation that uh, you go back to the USC NCAA sanctions, Mike. Uh, you go to Ohio State and the problems that they had with Tattoogate and, uh, and Jim Tressel. And now you start to wonder... Uh, do they begin to lose some of their prized recruits from the past couple of years? Do you have someone like a Shea Patterson, the five-star quarterback, who turned down offers from just about every program in the country to play for Hugh Freeze and the Rebels? Do you have that caliber of player that Hugh was able to attract in the past couple of years now looking ahead and saying, you know, I want an opportunity to play for a league championship. I want an opportunity to play for maybe even more, a playoff spot. I'm going to consider a transfer out of the program. So the next four to six weeks, it'll be interesting to see if you if you start to see defections, people jumping ship and saying, you know, this isn't what I signed up for when I agreed to become an Ole Miss Rebel. And, you know, it, it brings up uh, a discussion that we could go on for hours, but we'll, we'll just wrap it up here quick. Penn State players were allowed in, mm. inst- in some instances to leave right away and not sit out the year. It would be really difficult. Imagine being a freshman that just committed to Ole Miss and you're yeah. coming in here and he's not even the coach the first day you step on campus. You just committed six months ago and now this happens. Honestly, the NCAA has got to take a look at letting some of these kids out of these scholarships when the program isn't even what they expected before they even get there. Without so, having to sit out a year. Completely agree, yes. Yes. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Maybe the NCAA capitulates a little bit. We're going to talk about the Big 12. We'll turn the page from Ole Miss. A little bit less depressing topic. We're going to talk some football. Now the Big 12 shapes up for 2017. It's Mike and Rich on College Football Today on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
Many fantasy football players are focusing on their upcoming drafts later this summer. But the smart fantasy owner knows there's another big draft before the one where you pick the players. The first step in building a winner for the 2017 season is to draft the best team of experts for your preseason prep. So make the right selection and pick the squad at rotoexperts.com by purchasing the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. The Roto Experts roster features FSWA inaugural Hall of Famer and former Fantasy Football Writer of the Year Scott Engel, nationally acclaimed top ranker Jake Seeley, 2015 and 16 FSWA award winners Bobby McMahon and Brandon Murchison, and many more analysis with impressive stats. They bring you a draft package bursting with all-pro analysis and in-season coverage that'll guide you to title glory. So pick the team to help you build the right team. Make your first important selection of the 2017 season now and get the exclusive edge fantasy football package from rotoexperts.com. Be sure to enter promo code free radio at checkout for your discount. We're back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College Football Today. I'm Mike Blewett, along with Rich Sermonella. Hit us up on Twitter at FNTSY Radio. If you have any questions about the Big 12 or Hugh Freeze or Ole Miss or how much Houston Nutt is parting with his lawyer right now, I, I mean, you never, I never want to job poach on people, Rich, and I know I talked about wiping out the administration. I never want to job poach, but mm-hmm. I'm just – reporting the facts i mean people have lost their jobs and more people are going to lose their jobs and houston nut look it was a place that he worked i'm sure it was a place that he liked working i don't know what i'm sure it didn't end on great terms because he got fired as coach there but I, he, he didn't want to be in a position to have to do this you know what i mean no and for rebel fans i mean if you if if you had to endure the final two years of houston nut houston nut has now screwed rebel fans twice i would i would offer yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, in any event, we're closing the book on Ole Miss. We're going yeah. to talk about the Big 12 Conference, uh, which Rich and I talked about a bunch yesterday. Some good stuff to talk about here. Obviously, there's big changes, but I want to take a 30,000-foot view right here uh, because you know, they talked about expansion. That didn't happen. I think they've developed a reputation, unfortunately, as being the worst of the Power 5 leagues. Why is that, and what what can they do to maybe change that perception? You know what? Let's take a holistic look at this, Mike, uh, and I would agree with your assessment. I think they're clearly at this stage the worst of those of those P5 conferences. A couple of things to keep in mind. They have struggled away from the field. Uh, this is a, a conference that a few years ago really took it on the chin from an expansion perspective while, you know, other conferences were growing. Uh, the Big 12 was contracting. There was a time period where the Pac-12 almost was able to lure Oklahoma and Texas away, and we would not have had the Big 12. So I think from that standpoint, Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner, is fortunate that he still has a conference. But they've been so clumsy in their approach. You know, the inability a couple of years ago to name one true champion, which possibly cost them an opportunity to send a team to the first college football playoff, the expansion that you referenced, which was handled so poorly, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're doing it, we're not doing it. They just couldn't figure out what direction they were going in. And, and to me, from an on-field perspective, 
they're not getting the best talent among the major conferences. Uh, last year, uh, only 14 former Big 12 players were drafted by the NFL, the lowest since the inception of the conference in 1996. And they really don't play a lick of defense. And I, I think for, for those purists like myself, yeah, we love a good offensive show. But if you can't stop an opponent every now and again, I just don't think you're going to get national respect. And they don't have a at the high profile position too of quarterback. They, there's not a lot of guys from the Big Twelve starting in the NFL right now. I, I did some research a couple of weeks ago for a different show, and I realized that the breakdown there's a there's about six starting quarterbacks from the ACC. There's a bunch. There's a, a similar number from the Pac-12 and, and the Big Twelve. Really not putting a lot of guys out there. Sam Bradford leads the way, but uh, you know, even at the position where they get some recognition because there's so many yards uh, and there's so little defense and guys putting up crazy numbers, they're not even advancing those guys at that position. And, and it does make you wonder, are they system quarterbacks? Are they products of their environment. Uh, are they posting those big numbers, the ba- uh, Baker Mayfield type numbers, the Mason Rudolph type numbers? Is that to some extent because they're not getting defensive pressure, they're not facing elite corners? Uh, how much does that play into the picture? Didn't know that about the NFL transition, but it certainly uh, makes a lot of sense that they're not getting adequately challenged at the college level. Yeah, it's Sam Bradford and. Is it Ryan Tannehill? But was Ryan Tannehill were they SEC? Yeah, at that time, time I Tannehill think they were there. still Big Twelve at the yeah, end I of think, his yeah. tenure. I yeah. did. I remember do, double checking my work. So those are the only two starting quarterbacks in mm. the NFL from the Big Twelve: Ryan Tannehill and Sam Bradford. It's basically uh, six and a half from the ACC because I had to split Russell Wilson down the middle. I have to give yeah. him some ACC cred and some Big Ten like cred. Uh, Big Twelve, Big Ten has four and a half quarterbacks again. Russell Wilson and the Pac twelve has six. So there you go. At, at the one position where they get some recognition and they have these high-profile yeah. passing attacks, there's only two guys that are starting at the next level. And by the way, I do a lot of fantasy football shows on the pro side. Sam Bradford and Ryan Tannehill are not guys that people are signing off for, so mm. they're not even really in the top half of the league in the, if you're ranking quarterbacks 1-32. to 32. Are they getting ex- Is the fantasy world getting excited about Patrick Mahomes at this point, or is it too, too early, Mike? Too early. Uh, too early. There's going to be a transition there, obviously, from Alex Smith at some point to Mahomes, but I think everybody, including yourself, would concede that he's a pretty raw player, Mahomes mm-hmm. is. They'd be excited about him long term, but uh, it's a little bit of a roll of the, of the dice. The, the Chiefs went all in, uh, trading players around in order to get Mahomes, and it better work out. Otherwise, yeah. unfortunately, people will lose their jobs at that level. Yeah, yeah no, it makes a lot of sense. So uh, getting back to the Big 12 for a moment, you mentioned only 14 draft picks. They signed just 27 recruits this year from the ESPN 300. It's the fewest of any Power 5 league for the fifth year in a row. Yeah, what's shocking to me is uh, within the geography of Big 12 country sits the state of Texas. Yes. So it is stunning to me. And if and if you took a look, and and it's it's a project I'd like to work on from a research standpoint, You know, you look at schools across the map that are now 
poaching from the state of Texas successfully. And that is a major problem, not just for the conference as a whole, but for the Texas Longhorns specifically. You know, Oregon through the years has done really well in the state of Texas. The SEC with A&M going from the old Big 12 as it was constructed to the uh, SEC, Texas A&M is now pulling players to the SEC. LSU always has had success in the state of Texas. Uh, The Big 10, even an Urban Meyer and a Jim Harbaugh, is now going into the Southwest and pulling players out. So it's not a matter of that region of the country unable to produce NFL caliber talent. What's scary for the Big 12 is they're not keeping as many players as they used to. Yeah, I I think that's... That's the biggest sign, right? It, it it starts somewhere, and the troubling trend is that, look, the, there's going to be some coaching changes. We're going to talk about those later in the show. Obviously, Tom Herman coming into the mix at Texas uh, after they moved on from Charlie Strong and uh, Bob Stoops' stunning uh, retirement, I guess you would call it. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, uh, gosh, it feels like forever ago. It really wasn't that long ago that he stepped down. So I guess what's troubling is that's the first thing that you look at the players start to dissipate we're not putting enough players in the nfl it's because we weren't getting enough players out of high school so as much as people think that rankings and college college recruiting rankings are the is the work of charlatans i can show you statistics statistics that lead to this number of five-star players this number of four-star players this number of three-star players advance to the next levels it's a very gradual process five stars at a higher rate advance to the nfl than do four stars than do three stars yeah, there, there's there's no question about it. Those elite players, you're always going to have busts. I do a study on that every February, which is interesting. Uh, you know, there are players that can't meet the challenge. They were overhyped. Maybe they were uh, improperly scouted. But five star players are elite athletes. A very high percentage of those players are going to have an opportunity to play in the pros. Not enough of them are staying in the Big 12. I'll throw in one more thing to you, Mike, especially when we talk about Texas, and I know we'll get a little more granular in the Longhorns. There are certain schools like Texas, which was the, that was the capstone of this conference, that at the end of the Mac Brown era, that throughout the Charlie Strong era, they just weren't doing a great job of developing players. You know, I love those schools that take the two-star, the three-star players, and then four years later, they're NFL caliber. I think about, you know, Wake Forest used to do that. Northwestern does that. Uh, there are a handful of schools that live off of those two-star players. Texas and similar programs are getting the four- and five-star players, but at the end of their college tenure— they're two or three star players, so player development has been a big issue for some of the big programs in in this in this conference. That's a great point, and uh, you know, one more thing on that note, I guess it leads to maybe why the style of play has changed. You know, you see a lot of seven on seven football played in Texas. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like that type of football translated to Saturdays, yeah. and virtually nobody plays defense in this league any longer. I mean, you're going to have to get some players, and you can talk about high-profile players that are occasionally picked at the top of the draft being uh, part of the mix here from the Big 12, but we just stated the overall numbers aren't there. One outlier player doesn't necessarily mean that the conference has fixed their issues. So nobody plays D. Maybe Texas Texas Tech is at the forefront of that, not playing mm. D, but it's safe to say that that's the real issue of the trend is that they're playing uh, touch football to some extent. 
Well, when, when you can ruin the reputation of someone like Gary Patterson, not as a head coach, but as a, as a defensive-minded coach, Gary Patterson is one of the best defensive minds, the TCU head coach in the country, and yet he has struggled badly in order to maintain that reputation since the Horn Frogs moved to the Big 12. So I think it's symptomatic throughout the conference. I, I think the, the spread offenses, the pace of these attacks, the inability to attract big-time defensive ends and cornerbacks, those issues have really vexed this conference. It's fun, but to me, with the, I don't think the Big 12, Mike, wants to be uh, the whack 2.0. And that's really what I've gotten. Fun conference to watch, but at some point, you know, fans want to see more than 52-48 shootouts if you want to talk about a national perspective. Yeah, the I mean, the the huge game that was debated a couple of years ago was the TCU, mm. was it the TCU Baylor game? Baylor, you got it. 60 to 57 game, right? Yeah. And yeah. it basically came down to the wire of deciding who was going to make the college football playoff. I thought it made the committee look silly because TCU won their final game and dropped three slots after blowing a team out. Yeah, but behind another Ohio story. State, sure. Yeah. And another story for another day. We're going to talk more about team specific topics in the Big 12. And also, they got a championship game back. Is that a good thing? Rich will answer that after the break on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Quarterback to receiver hookups, running back depth analysis, rookie values in dynasty leagues, deep sleepers, training camp battles. These are just a few of the in-depth features you will find inside the 2017 RotoExperts.com Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. Plus, you get a full year of in-season coverage as a bonus. Get the Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package now at RotoExperts.com. Enter free radio at checkout for your special discount. Back in college football today, Mike Blue and Rich Germanello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for joining us. We'll be here till 12. After that, we're going to have the weekend fantasy update. That's with Joe Galena, as well as Mike Florio and Frank Stamfel. After that show, you're going to have the father and son fantasy NASCAR hour. That's with Scott and Sean Engel. So uh, please feel free to listen in live today or on demand and download the app by going entering Fantasy FNTSY Radio in the iTunes Store or on Google Play. So, Rich, back to the Big 12. Uh, I led you with a question before the break. You know, my biggest issue of all of the incarnations of the plus one and the college football playoff mm-hmm. and the BCS championship is that some conferences have championship games and some didn't. I always thought it was iner- inherently unfair. I didn't care which side of the aisle you argued on. I just thought it was unfair because it wasn't uniform. So now the Big 12 has a, t- a title game. Is that a good thing for them? I think it was a necessary thing for the Big 12. I mean, the Big 12 had been taking body blows, as I mentioned earlier, for a number of years. And one of them was, you know, on that first Saturday of December, Championship Saturday, you know, SEC was lacing it up. Big 10, Pac-12, ACC, marquee showdown games to see who moves on to the playoffs. And the Big 12 was having an abbreviated regular season schedule. Now, They benefited from the fact that Bedlam the past couple of years, a de facto Big 12 championship game, occurred on that first Saturday in December. But 
really from a from an optics standpoint, this conference needed to join the other four power leagues and have a title game. They'll have that this year in Jerry's world. Uh, I think it helps the conference, of course, unless the team that's vying for a playoff spot winds up losing, then it hurts the conference. But let me say one thing uh, on behalf of the Big 12. I think, Mike, this has the potential to be the best of the championship games. I don't like championship games. I think they're unnecessary. I think in large part they're money grabs, TV money grabs. But think about this, Mike. Uh, ACC, uh, Atlantic has dominated the Coastal recently. Uh, Mm. SEC, West Division has dominated the East Division. Uh, Pac-12, the North, has dominated the South. We've had a lot of boring championship games over the past four or five years. The Big 12, to their credit, 10-team league, has not split into two divisions. So we're not going to have a team that potentially is, you know, 8-4, and 9-3 and three with an opportunity to play in that game. It's the best team in the conference versus the second-best team in the conference. And I really wish other leagues would go to this model. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. We've seen some pretty bad mismatches in other conference championship games. Uh, I think the Pac-12 a couple of years, was it last year or the year before, they had a four-loss team in there uh, going up against somebody. So that's not ideal. Uh, you can say you can talk about it being cyclical. At the end of the day, what Rich says is accurate. You have the number one against the number two team. Uh, everybody's played each other. There's no arguing who the best two mm-hmm. teams were by season's end, right? Yep. Yeah, there's no question about it. I I would rather see, I don't care who wins a particular division, especially, you know, as you mentioned, we have had three loss and four loss teams participate uh, in a championship game with an opportunity to win a league title, which I think is kind of ridiculous. I I, I think I want to see the best versus the second best. Uh, Big 12 is going to give us that. It could be a rematch of Bedlam. Uh, it could be a rematch of uh, the Red River rivalry. And, and for me, in early December, that's just fine. As a fan, I want to see that game. I want to see those two teams play. Yeah, so let's turn the page over to talking about a team in particular. Mm. And we talk about the one that will probably go into the season, expected to win it all, and that is Oklahoma. However, they experienced as big a change as anybody because while Texas has a new coach and other teams may have replaced coaches, Oklahoma didn't expect to replace theirs. Bob Stoops resigns really before the summer program got going. So it's life after Bob Stoops. He retired in June, and he's replaced by Lincoln Riley. So uh, let's talk about that first. Yeah, I my f- take in June, Mike, was uh, – I have thought for the past couple of years that Bob Stoops was getting burnt out. Uh, Spent some time with him in Atlanta a couple of years ago, both he and his wife. And just talking to them, I I sort of began to feel that uh, Bob Stoops had lost a little bit of the fire, a little bit of the passion that he had one foot uh, in his other life, his family, and one foot in football, which is perfectly fine. So had you told me in December... That Bob Stoops, after 17 years, was stepping away from the Sooners, I wouldn't have been the least bit shocked. But what surprised me was the timing. The fact that this happened in June, initially when I heard it, I thought, oh, this has to be health-related. I thought maybe he got some kind of a bad health report. Fortunately, that wasn't the case. And, And Oklahoma says that this succession quietly was in place for a while. They knew that Lincoln Riley was going to be the coach in waiting. It's going to be curious to see if Riley can handle 
not just the pressure of being a head coach for the first time, but be, the pressure of being the head coach of a team that has won back-to-back Big 12 titles and is one of the favorites to participate in the playoffs. Yeah, so first thing I would say about Stoops, just having read a lot about him over the years, he always was very much a family guy. He, yeah, yeah. When all of those rumors would pop up from years past, they hadn't happened in a while, but when rumors would pop up about will Stoops go to the NFL, mm-hmm. he used to think people were nuts. His coaches had very much a family-oriented lifestyle. He made sure his coaches dropped their kids off at school every day you report to the stadium at 9 30 they work till 6 30 normal yeah. sort of work day you want to burn the midnight oil fine but most of the coaching staff wasn't doing it he wanted a family atmosphere and he was still able to have success despite maybe working less hours than other schools work smarter not harder right yep oh, what a great model I, I i don't know if it's realistic i don't know if others will follow it but i think that's a model that coaches should strive toward because burnout is a very real thing and it's happening at at every level even down to the high school level serious high school football programs you have coaches that are living this lifestyle 12 months out of the year and and this is really testament to Bob Stoops uh, his wife his entire family that they had such an impact on him that he said Listen, we can be a highly successful football program, a nationally successful football program, and at the same time have balance in our lives. And that played a key part uh, in him being able to keep his staff largely intact year after year. So I I, I give a lot of credit to Bob Stoops. Now it'll be interesting, Mike, to see... um, you know, he says he's sort of done with coaching. I'll be curious if he gets that itch again a couple of years down the line. Yeah, he's not he's not an old man. It, you know, there's other guys that walk away. He's not up in the area of where Bill Snyder from Kansas State is. Obviously, uh, Stoops could have kept coaching had he wanted, but I think he decided to turn the page. I have a feeling he's just going to, you know, I'm sure he can get a position at Oklahoma and be an advisor there. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he's going to have TV opportunities, but I, I give him a lot of credit. He, he made a personal decision that yep. he wanted to move on. There's some sort of succession plan in place because, if for no other reason than what you mentioned, Rich, and that's because the staff was mainly intact over the years. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of continuity is rare in college sports. It's especially rare for a successful college sports program, because what happens naturally, you win at a high level and then other schools are looking to promote your assistance, promote your offensive or defensive coordinator to a head coach position. And, you know, it it had a family atmosphere right down to his defensive coordinator, his brother, Mike Stoops. So I like the environment that they created, Mike. It's it's reminiscent to me of what Dabo Sweeney is doing at Clemson, which is, yeah, we could play football at a very high level, but we're also going to enjoy this process as we move along. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Oh, I totally agree. So uh, on Lincoln Riley, he's a young offensive coordinator. I think he's 33 years of age. Mm-hmm. It's it's a good rela- the most important relationship one of the most important relationships in all the sports is the quarterback and the head coach and he's got a relationship established obviously with Baker Mayfield who's going to be in the Heisman talks you know he had some off season stuff that he had to work through mm-hmm. uh, but I think he's been contrite about it and I think Lincoln Riley being the new head coach is probably a very good thing for Baker Mayfield. Yeah, and and it's certainly a very good thing for Lincoln Riley that Baker Mayfield decided to return for his senior season. I I thought he played 
remarkably well last year. I, I thought he was a legitimate contender for the Heisman Trophy. You know, we all forget that from 2015 to 2016, you know, we were all wondering in the offseason, there was a lot of caterwauling of how is Baker Mayfield going to be as successful without Sterling Shepard on the outside? I mean, Sterling Shepard was a magnificent college receiver before moving on to the NFL. And and, and lo and behold, D.D. Westbrook steps up and has a season in which he almost winds up with a Heisman Trophy. So all of the pieces, yeah, there are some new faces, Mike, this year, but they're going to be fine offensively. For Lincoln Riley, this is my big question. How does a young guy who's never been a head coach, never been in the spotlight, how does he handle the inevitable controversy that pops up? If there is another off-field issue, not with Baker, I think he's done with, with the problems that he had. But if something pops up, he gets a call on a Thursday night and there's a kid that's in trouble. How does the 33-year-old head coach with no muscle memory for those types of situations, how does he handle that? That, I think, will define his first year in Norman. Well, I hope he's got Bob on speed dial. <laughs> yeah, and and I think he would be wise to do so. He certainly has a good mentor in that regard. Get a set a shortcut on your home screen to Bob's uh, <laughs> Bob's uh, cell phone, and I'm sure he will he will help him through that. Look, Bob's brother coaches on the team. Lincoln mm-hmm. Riley is a guy that he mentored. So uh, while he's stepping away, I think he would be open to, and you would know better than I. I would think he would be open to being an advisor to the team on some level, even if it's well in the background. No question about it. Yeah, no question. So so we're going to talk about uh, a bunch of other teams uh, throughout the next hour and change. We'll talk a little bit about Texas when we come back after the break. So can, is Tom Horman the man for the horns as they leave the Charlie Strong era? It's Mike and Rich on College Football Today on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. We're back in college football today. I'm Mike Blewett, along with Rich Simonella. Hit us up on Twitter at FNTSY Radio. We're talk- we talked a little bit about Ole Miss earlier, but Big 12 is the focus today. We just got through talking about Oklahoma. We're going to talk about Texas, Oklahoma State, and the rest of the teams in the next hour. Uh, but, Rich, one thing uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, Jerry's World, you mentioned that that's where the Big 12 mm-hmm. championship game is going to be. Have you had a chance to go to Jerry's World? Have not. How about you, Mike? I have. I actually I did a tour of it a few years ago while there was no game going on, and it is awesome. It's as jaw dropping in. It's more jaw dropping in person than it is on TV. Mm-hmm. I know everybody knows about the the scoreboard and all that kind of stuff. That's really massive. It's almost. It's actually distracting when you're there uh, because 
you gravitate towards watching that screen while, even while the game action is going on underneath you. But this past year, a friend of mine works, uh, worked for the Cowboys, and I went down there for the Cowboys-Packers playoff game. So I would encourage everyone that is a football fan to go there. It is a jaw-dropping experience. They do everything really well, five-star type of treatment and all that kind of stuff. I, I highly encourage people to go down there. And it should be fun for the Big 12 to have it there. Now, are you the kind of fan that prefers that kind of palatial estate, or do you like more of the uh, the traditional stadiums, regardless of the sport, whether it's baseball, football, basketball? Uh, what what well, do you prefer more, Mike? Yeah, it's tough to stand in the way of progress, right? Because we we all know the way it's going with a lot of the stadiums. Yeah. I'm a Yankees fan. I preferred the old stadium more than the new one because the new one makes it an antiseptic five-star hotel type of experience. I just thought that the way in which the Cowboys produced their event was impressive. Do you know what I mean? Every yeah. Yeah. every T crossed, every I dotted. It was amazing to see them put on a show like that for 100,000 people, basically. I, I almost think it's necessary these days whether we're talking you know college football in stadium attendance has been going down and and i think that's that's a trend that i think a lot of whether it's professional sports or college athletics in the era that we live in now with gorgeous gigantic flat screen televisions uh the experience that you could have in the comfort of your own home or a local bar you know, that gap between that and being at the stadium while still there has been narrowed over the past 10 years. So I, I, I think mm-hmm. it's almost incumbent upon venues to put forth an experience that is, to your point, so jaw dropping that you're like, listen, I'm not getting this in my living room. I absolutely have to be at that building to experience something. You know, it almost reminds me of, you know, certain movies. If you're going to watch uh, one of the Star Wars movies, you know, that's the kind of thing that you have to do in a theater rather than in your own home. I agree. Um, you know, I, look, I'm a fantasy football analyst, a radio host. I, obviously, we're doing college football here today. I don't go to a lot of games live. Mm-hmm. I mean, when it comes to the NFL, which I cover primarily, uh, I have a lot of games to try to cover on a Sunday. Yep. So it's difficult yep. it's sometimes for me to be, say, at MetLife Stadium. And I'm in the New York area. It's, it's difficult for me to be at MetLife Stadium and keep track of the other 15 games that are going on. So uh, I default to doing what you said, watching in the comfort yep. of my own home with my flat screen TV and uh, whatever beverages and, and food I want and, and being able to kind of communicate and set lineups. And, you know, people are playing DraftKings yep. and FanDuel on that yep. level. Uh, at the pro side. So teams are going to do the best that they can. I think the Dallas Cowboys nailed how they did it. Uh, I I think it's a good thing for the Big 12 to have it there. It seems like a natural kind of fit. And obviously, look, Jerry poured a lot of money into it, but he's reaping the benefits because he really did a a great job. I'm not a Cowboys fan by nature, but I I, I applaud them for it. And I think it's a good thing that the Big 12 will get that kind of exposure for their fans and for people watching at home. I'll be curious if anyone can match Jerry's world in the coming years, if any of the new buildings will even come close to saying, yeah, that's the standard, but look at what this organization has done as a follow-up. Yeah, it's pretty amazing because a lot of places are building smaller stadiums to ensure a greater attendance. He built the biggest one, and it's still full for whether it's a country concert or a college football game or the Dallas Cowboys. That place is full, so he's done a nice job. We're back for hour number two. We're going to talk to the Texas Longhorns on college football today. 
You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. We're back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Tom Sawyer. Are you a Rush fan? I'm not a Rush fan, Rich, but, you know, this song kind of rocks. I like the genre, but uh, never was a big Rush fan growing up, though. So when you say you like the genre, who's the who's the band that you would pull out of that genre that you would hold? Uh, this is well, probably going a little further ahead, but uh, it's it seems like a good week to say that I was a big Linkin Park fan, uh, oh. big Bush fan. Yeah, I like '90s rock music. So Tom Sawyer a little yeah. before that, but nonetheless, '90s rock is where I'm at. Yeah, I'm kind of there too. Uh, Pearl Jam and uh, Jam. Soundgarden, uh, yep. Lincoln Park. Uh, I'm with you. You know, sadly, Soundgarden and Lincoln Park both both lose their lead singers here in the last yep. couple of months, and those guys were good friends too. It was a really sad story to yep. read that. So, uh, in any event. Uh, we move on to uh, back to college football. Uh, Texas Longhorns, we're going to talk about them for a minute, maybe into the next segment as well. Uh, Tom Herman era begins in Austin. Uh, the Charlie Strong thing, I never felt like he got a fair shake. I think Charlie Strong, Strong is going to do a great job at USF. Uh, but do you feel like, I mean, Texas effectively got the guy they wanted. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like he is the answer for them to turn things in the right direction? I do, you know, but uh, in the air of uh, candor, I also thought Charlie Strong was going to be the right guy, and I I, I completely agree with you. I, I think he'll be fantastic at USF, maybe, you know, in less of a pressure cooker, uh, closer to a region where he has recruited so well for so many years. I think maybe the Bulls are the place for Charlie Strong to, to resuscitate his career. I was a little surprised it didn't work out. And and not just work out to the level of, yeah, they're now Big 12 champs, but at times they looked poorly coached. Uh, special teams was horrific. The defense never got it. Uh, took a while before they really started to click in terms of their quarterback play. Yes, they used a, a true freshman in Shane Bouchelle last year. You know, but this was a team that looked uh, sloppy, and that really never clicked with me in terms of a Charlie Strong team. But... I think Tom Herman brings the right energy. I think he has more support from the administration and the community than Charlie ever got. So, yeah, I think he's the right guy. And one more thing, Mike. Charlie left a stocked cupboard. There is a lot of talent in Austin. There's a lot of NFL caliber talent in Austin. So in terms of Tom Herman, this is not going to be a rebuilding project. This team could turn it around as soon as 2017. Uh, Charlie Strong was at Louisville. He moves to Texas. That's two Power 5 jobs. Now he's at USF. He could end up, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy that gets a third Power 5 job at some point. So because he can do what you just said, he can recruit. So there's plenty of players there. Now the the Horns have lost ground in-state in a lot of different phases. They're 46 and 42 this decade. No Big 12 Mm -hmm. titles or major bowls. So obviously that's not the type of resume that they're looking for, but... Tom Herman uh, could obviously impact them with this level of players on the roster. Yeah, great offensive mind. The problem that Texas has had is they've recruited a lot of high-profile blue-chip quarterbacks. He's never developed them. Tom Herman has proven in the past. Look at what he did at Ohio State. He'll get those quarterbacks to a higher level. That, to me, will be the biggest difference for the Longhorns. So we'll continue to talk about Texas after the break, talk about Oklahoma State and a bunch of the other teams in the Big 12. It's Mike and Rich on College Football Today on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. It's 
In 2016, Scott Engel predicted an impressive second season from Melvin Gordon. Jake Seeley recommended Jordan Howard. Bobby McMahon forecasted a JGI breakthrough. George Kurtz saw a big year coming from Matt Ryan. And Joe Galena picked Rashard Matthews as one of his top sleepers. These predictions turned fantasy owners into champions, and the same crew returns this year. With more savvy calls in the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package at RotoExperts.com. Don't miss the calls that create winners. Register now and enter free radio at checkout for a special discount. Hi, College Football Today uh, on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Please download the app. Go to the iTunes Store on Google Play, FNTSY Sports Radio app. Uh, download for free. Listen for free. You get a ch- catch us live or on demand, any show, anytime, anywhere, any place. So one last question on Texas, Rich, before we move over to uh, Oklahoma State Cowboys. Is this a complete rebuild for Tom Herman, or is he just tinkering? As you said, the cupboard mm. is stocked, but yeah. uh, is he really going to have to? Is, is he going to have to blow some more things up before this gets better? I, I think if there's a complete rebuild here, Mike, it's more in terms of the mindset, the expectations. I think it's more of a psychological complete rebuild. Uh, you know, Texas has now grown accustomed to mediocrity, those five, six uh, win type seasons. I think that's where Tom Herman has to do his heaviest lifting is getting this program back to that point where they expect excellence they expect titles i think there was a there was an element of arrogance that seeped into this program there was an entitlement an expectation you know we're texas we're the biggest business this is where everybody in the state wants to come and play from when they're little kids that doesn't exist any longer so that's the culture shift that has to take place in terms of the personnel i love the makeup of this team. I, I, I think when you look at Bouchelle being back for a second season, they've got one of the best offensive lines in the country, led by Connor Williams, who I think will be a top 10 overall draft choice next season. Good defensive talent like Malik Jefferson, P.J. Locke on the back end, quality wide receivers. And look out for Deontay Foreman 2.0 in the form of Chris Warren II. You remember Chris Warren, don't you? I do. Yeah, Seattle Seahawks. Yep, you got it. Chris Warren's son is a 240, 250-pound running back who was off to a fantastic start last season. A couple of 100-yard games. He was lost for the year due to injury. So... Yeah, you're going to miss the 2,000-yard rusher in Foreman, but, man, I think Warren could be every bit as good this fall. So, look, Texas is 5-7. and seven. We could easily see them turning it around, getting to a bowl game at yep. the very least. That's a building block for them, right? I think, I think an 8- or 9-win season is not out of the realm of possibility. And at that point, if that's your foundation for, uh, for Tom Herman, then you start to say this is a team that could realistically win a Big 12 title in 2018. I mean, Kansas State and TCU finished in front of them last year. We could see them overtaking them and maybe challenging even somebody like West Virginia. But let's go over to Stillwater uh, for a mm-hmm. moment. Uh, Mike Gundy, <laughs> look, that mullet yeah. is – we could spend the rest of the show talking about that mullet. He is rocking it with uh, reckless abandon. That thing is glorious. Uh, Barry Melrose <laughs> probably shed a tear when he saw Mike Gundy's mullet at Media Days. Yeah, I was thinking Miley Cyrus's dad. I was thinking Billy oh, Ray. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. So that mullet, I give him a lot of credit. He's like, you know what? This is my mullet. It's prolific, and I'm going to put it out there. And I think I said to you off air, 
I, I would imagine that at some point, Mike Gundy's mullet probably has a Twitter handle at this point, right? Yeah, I would say so. If I bet you if we searched it, I'm sure one of their crazy fans got in there yeah. and uh, the, the mullet is chatting it up on social media as we speak. But uh, to talk, turn to football for a moment, uh, mm-hmm. he's obviously there. He's done a great job in getting this program some stability, right? I, everybody wants to put every coach on the hot seat. Mike yeah. Gundy's an Oklahoma State guy. He's done a good job. I know they can't get over the hump, but – now they have a quarterback that is rumored to be a potential first-round draft pick in mm-hmm. Mason Rudolph. They have a dynamite receiving core, as you told me earlier this week, and scoring isn't going to be the issue. So right. it's a matter of whether they can fix the defense, right? Yeah, I, I just quickly on Mike Gundy, I, I don't know if there's a more underrated head football coach in the country than Gundy. I'm with I mean, you. I mean, he does such a good job consistently, and he is second fiddle in a state that does not produce a lot of elite talent. Yeah, Texas is close by, Louisiana is close by, so it's not as if they're in the Northeast in terms of high school talent. But year after year, this is a very competitive team, Mike. Three of the last four seasons, they've won 10 games. They continue to produce uh, Sunday talent, and they're not necessarily getting the blue chippers at the high school level. So I think he has done a remarkable job. In terms of the personnel, Mason Rudolph, Justice Hill in the backfield, James Washington, who I think is the best college wide receiver of 2017, and he is far from alone. Jalen McCleskey, another son of an NFL dad, J.J. McCleskey, a former wide receiver, I believe, with the Chiefs, although you would know that better than I would. Here's right. what, it, Yeah, here's what it comes down to for Oklahoma State. Defensive talent is marginal. If this team is going to get support from the defense, it's going to come from big plays. It's sacks. It's takeaways, which they have done very well over the past couple of years. Physical teams are going to bully them off the line of scrimmage, but they need to create game-changing money plays that get the ball back in the hands of, of Mason Rudolph. Listen, they have every bit as much of a shot as Oklahoma to win the Big 12 championship. And if they catch a break along the way, who knows? They're, they're a fringe playoff team. This is a very, very good football team entering the new season. Yeah, and so they could be a playoff contender here. You could yep. obviously see them contending for the title here. And I, the last thing I'd say on Mike Gundy is that Stillwater is not the easiest place to recruit to. You just mentioned it's the second fiddle in that state. Right. Right. Uh, there are plenty of other Big 12 locations where – players would rather go, right? Yeah. You, you want to live in Austin, you want to live in Stillwater. You want to yep. live in Norman, you don't want to live in Stillwater. You can live in Dallas. You can live in a variety of other... Fort Worth, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. There's a variety of other cities that you can live just within that conference's footprint uh, that beat out Stillwater. No disrespect to my mm-hmm. friends in Oklahoma or in Stillwater, but uh, that's the reality. It's not the easiest place to recruit to within this conference. So uh, good on Mike Gundy, and we'll see. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd be rooting for them in some ways because I like him, and I would like to see them you know, maybe advance and get a title because he's, he's fell just short these last few seasons. That's correct. Yep. Yep. So moving over to TCU, uh, that was sort of your first tier of teams where you have Oklahoma, Texas, mm-hmm. uh, and Oklahoma State. Uh, now, second tier of teams. You talked about Gary Patterson earlier in the show. It's sort of a head-scratcher because a guy known for defense, he's even gotten overtaken in some seasons recently with the amount of points being scored in this conference. So back-to-back 11-win seasons, and then last year he drops down to 6-7. and seven. 
Yeah, a couple of things. I, I mean, to to Gary Patterson's credit, he is and always will be a defensive-minded uh, head coach, one of the best in the business. But a couple of years ago, he recognized that when in Rome or when in Waco or when in Fort Worth, you got to do as the Romans do. And, and what he did was he completely shifted the blueprint of his offense. He hires Sonny Cumbie. He hires Doug Meacham, who is now at Kansas. And he souped up that offense to complement the multidimensional talents of Trevon Boykin, his then quarterback. And that's when TCU really took flight and was able to keep pace with the rest of the Big 12 teams. Didn't happen last year. Kenny Hill, uh, whose dad pitched for the Texas Rangers, I keep bringing up the uh, the paternal links here. There's a ton for some reason in the Big 12. But they yeah. finished 6-7 and seven a year ago. One stat I want to throw out, which which I find kind of interesting, and it's testament to Gary Patterson's ability to bounce back. 2001, TCU goes 6-6. Six and six. Next year, 10-2. 2004, 5-6, and six, Mike. Following year, 11-1. 2013, they go 4-8. and eight. The next season, 12-1, and one, and almost make the playoffs. So 6-7 and seven last year, he's a bounce-back, rebound coach, I think there's a good chance that this team turns it around, provided they get better play from Hill under center, turns it around and is at least in that upper half of the Big 12 Conference. Yeah, so Kenny Hill, the quarterback there, as you mentioned, he transferred from Texas A&M, yep. uh, but had you know was there last year, so second season starting under Patterson. Uh, he's going to be a key part of their success, obviously, this season. He's got to be more consistent, just lacked efficiency. He's a quality running quarterback. He showed those flashes at Texas A&M early in his career, even, you know, had the nickname Kenny Trill Hill. Uh, I think he trademarked that. I think I think too much happened too fast for him. Things have to slow down, both on the field and off the field. He's got to do a better job of making use of the receivers that he has. A couple of things. He has a a very good running back in Kyle Hicks behind him, and Cavante Turpin, undersized playmaker, special teamer, missed most of last season. That weapon comes back, so I think he's got a pretty good supporting cast. He just has to do a better job of maximizing that talent. They need more help from the offense if he gets it. TCU could be dangerous this year. Yeah, look, you know, of these of this next tier of teams, and we're going to talk about the rest of them after the break with Baylor and Kansas State and West Virginia. TCU is the one that you could see probably most easily moving into that top tier, along with the Sooners, the Longhorns, and the Cowboys, don't you think? I completely agree. Look at the back seven on defense. That back seven might be as good as any in the Big, in the big 12. I trust Gary Patterson a lot uh, as a guy that I think is uh, just still an underrated talent. So we'll talk about Baylor and Kansas State and West Virginia after the break on College Football Today on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Quarterback to receiver hookups, running back depth analysis, rookie values in dynasty leagues, deep sleepers, training camp battles. These are just a few of the in-depth features you will find inside the 2017 RotoExperts.com Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. And it's power-packed with so much more, including fully sortable player projections and a custom cheat sheet generator. Plus, you get a full year of in-season coverage as a bonus. 
Get the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package now at rotoexperts.com. Enter free radio at checkout for your special discount. Good stuff. A little, a little soul music here. Yeah. Nice job by Pete Considori, our producer. He's been producing with me all morning long. So, Pete, just like a hat, you got like 35 minutes left of me. So, uh, hopefully you can stand it. But uh, thanks for doing a good job there. Uh, I'm, it's Mike Blewett along with Rich Sermonella. We're back on college football today, and we're going to turn the page over to Baylor, which is a school which we could probably spend two hours on in and of themselves. Uh, but we'll, we'll put the scandals to the side for a second because uh, a big – part of their football identity now has changed. Obviously, the scandal cost Art Briles the job. Then Jim Grobe stepped in for a, uh, what's the best way to, uh, kind of a transitional year. Uh, I thought you were going to say like a cup of coffee. I was going to, yeah, I was going to say a cup of sweet tea or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, basically there for a year. He's just there to kind of hold the job until they Mm -hmm. hired Matt Rule, who comes from Temple, which is, to me, a very odd culture fit, a guy that has no real ties to the Big 12. But Matt Rule comes in, gets a very long deal, seven-year deal, because they're looking at possible uh, violation infractions and suspensions and reductions of scholarships. All that stuff has kind of been on the table. But Matt Rule comes in and he gets a long-term deal to try to weather the storm through that before he rebuilds the program. Geographically, you know, when I first heard of it, uh, Made no sense. Uh, you know, Matt Rule is a uh, not only comes from Temple, but he's uh, played at Penn State. He's coached in the Northeast. He coached for the New York Football Giants. Uh, no ties whatsoever to Texas. But when you listen to the man, when you look at his background, uh, I think from a philosophical standpoint, uh, I think he's a perfect for, fit for Baylor. I, I think Baylor, in a way, maybe was better that they didn't go with someone that was comfortable, someone who was in their own backyard. Matt Rule has run good programs before, did a fantastic job at Temple. Temple, Talk about taking you know, one- and two-star talent and coaching those kids up. He'll have a better caliber of talent at Baylor. But in terms of enacting, Mike, a cultural shift— a philosophical shift. I think Matt Rule is the right guy. The, the big issue now is going to be, if we're talking about 2017, totally different systems on offense and defense. Yeah. How quickly will the kids be able to adapt? And then long term, who on that staff is going to be able to build ties with Texas high school coaches, which don't currently exist right now? So you mentioned <coughs> a system change. My question to you is, is his style and his philosophy, can it work in the Big 12? We just got talking about, mm-hmm. uh, got done talking about how Gary Patterson even had to change. Can Matt Rule come in here and change and adapt to what the Big 12 is, which is shootout and air raid yeah. and all that kind of stuff? I think both will have to uh, make some kind of an adaptation. I, I think Baylor is going to adapt to Matt Rule, which is more of a pro-style, balanced offense, certainly physical defense led by Phil Snow, one of the most underrated defensive coordinators in the country. But I think Matt is smart enough 
to realize that, you know, ground and pound may not be all that is necessary to be successful in the Big 12. So I do expect him to attract and recruit players who can run a more wide open system. I think it'll be a mix of the two, but certainly a physical running game is going to be a part of that system. And so is attracting kids that are community driven. That has been a big factor in this for Matt Rule. He's looking for kids that spend as much time caring about football as they do the classroom and the totality of that Waco community. So he really is trying to uh, sort of uh, sort of ignite a cultural shift. But in terms of the current talent, current talent is, is geared more towards that wide-open Art Brile system. So this year could be sort of a clunky shift to what Matt wants to traditionally do. Yeah, look, I'm never of the opinion that uh, School X has to play the, a certain way because they've done this historically, right? I, I, I'm a Boston College fan. It's where I went to school. And people always said, well, they got to get the offensive lineman in there and they have to play smash mouth. And, yes, that's where they've had successes. But I've never mm-hmm. been the type to think that they can't do it another way. And I feel that way about most programs. If it's done the right way and the coach builds his program the way he wants to, it could work there because he's going to look for those players that work in his system. Now, um, there are limitations to that on some level, I do understand. But uh, that being said, I do think that Matt Rule coming in with a new system, he could succeed. We just do think they're going to be middle of the pack, at least for this year. Yeah, I, I think this year is about sort of setting the ground floor, uh, uh, changing the way they think at Baylor. Uh, they they have talent. You know, there are some leftover talent. I think they're in pretty good shape as far as the quarterback position. Zach Smith, as a freshman, was forced into the lineup. Seth Russell was hurt, so Zach Smith played at the end of the year. And then remember, they also tra- attracted a veteran quarterback from Arizona in a new Solomon who ran Rich Rodriguez's system and started for the past three years so they have veteran leadership behind center uh marginal talent on defense this looks to me to be you know a 500 football team but when you consider what baylor has gone through over the past 12 to 14 months i don't think anybody is that really worked up in terms of whether or not they compete for a big 12 title which i do not expect to happen matt rule is all about laying the ground floor and then building on that in 2018 and beyond yeah. So uh, moving over to the next team is Kansas State. So Bill Snyder, the game's oldest coach, he's currently 77 years of age. I was reading a story uh, yesterday where he's hoping his son, Sean, who's the assistant head coach, basically takes over for him when he's ready to be done. He's been suffering from throat cancer. Uh, mm-hmm. He's diagnosed this offseason. He's still out there coaching, going through treatments and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and you think that they could be a sleeper in the Big 12 if the D can kind of retool this season? Yeah, traditionally. And listen, we just talked about Baylor, Mike. And, you know, can you succeed in the conference without having a wide open uh, offensive system? Kansas State is sort of the blueprint and, and has been, for, you know, ever since Bill Snyder has been there, they have never had a wide open offense. They've never had a great passing quarterback. This is a team that is built on a a quality offensive line, a physical ground game, a quarterback in Jesse Ertz who, you know, he'll make a throw every now and again, doesn't have an NFL arm, but he's going to rush for a thousand yards this year. And he's going to get help in the backfield from, from Alex Barnes and Dalton Risner and the rest of that offensive line is going to dominate at times at the point of contact. But 
The problem for Kansas State is going to be, as you mentioned, defense. They lost many of their best players, led by Jordan Willis, who's now in the NFL, defensive end. Uh, Elijah Lee, their linebacker. Dante Barnett. So a lot of their stars on defense have departed to the NFL. One thing I will say is special teams, traditionally outstanding. They get some hidden advantages from their place kicker, from their return men, from their punter. Few teams do it better on special teams than Kansas State. So they're so very well coached. I I think K-State is one of those tricky programs that, you know, they're going to go into games as a seven, eight, nine point underdog, and they're going to wind up walking out of there with a victory. Yeah, so uh, we'll see how that goes, and obviously our best to Bill Snyder as he continues to battle uh, throat cancer. Uh, Jordan Willis, you mentioned earlier, uh, Cincinnati Bengals picked him up in the third round, 73rd overall, so he's a relatively high draft pick. There were rumors that he could go that first night in the NFL draft, but still Mm. a relatively high draft pick and a big talent that they lost. And, And a classic example of a kid, if you go back to his high school days, you know, Kansas State, Mike, is never getting blue-chip talent out of high schools. Never. I mean, they're always getting those two- and three-star kids, three-star at best. Jordan Willis being another example. They're, they're raw talents in high school. Maybe, maybe they're a step slower. Maybe they're undersized. Maybe they're playing at a small high school program, not a, a group four type of a program. And yet when they're done in Manhattan – not just because of Bill Snyder, but they have a veteran staff, Dana Dimmel on offense, Tom Hayes on defense. Those guys really do a lot of the X's and O's, a lot of the the machinations. Bill Snyder at this stage of his career and his life at 77 is more of a game manager, more of a CEO who delegates. So that staff continues to do a very good job of developing talent. I love programs like that. I love programs that develop talent, exceed expectations, Expectations. I expect nothing less from Kansas State this year. And look, we've seen this we've seen this dynamic and this model work before, right? With all due respect to Bobby Bowden, towards the end of his career, most of that stuff was delegated. He wasn't yep. even wearing a headset on the sidelines. There was other people taking care of the X's and O's specifically. He may have been the overseer of the program, but at the same time, uh, he was uh, a guy that wasn't necessarily involved in every single minute, minute detail on both sides of the ball, a la Nick Saban. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I would throw Joe Pye at the end of his Penn State career into the same category. You know, you had Tom Bradley running his defense. Uh, I, I I think once you get to that stage of your life, you know, you're in your 70s, uh, you only have so much energy. And, and this day and age of, of college football with with recruiting, with the uh, uh, the media uh, uh, responsibility, it's really a 24 seven, 365 day a year job. And once you get north of 70, I think it's uh, it's almost impossible not to delegate. Yeah, and I, look, at a lot earlier age than that, we saw Bob Stoops step away, and I yeah. think that's a p- part of the reason. It's a it's a grind in the most serious of ways. It's a grind, and Bob Stoops was doing it the right way and, and creating some family balance. I've heard Urban Meyer been asked, hey, do you, this was years ago. He was asked, hey, do you think you could be coaching same way as uh, Bobby Bowden was uh, later in life? And Urban Meyer looked at the reporter like he had three heads. Mm. He's like, no way. He had yeah. step away from the Florida job because he was yep. feeling the heat. Uh, he finds himself in a good spot at Ohio State, but Urban's going to walk away again. He's not going to be coaching when he's 70. 
Well, and you look at the money these days, Mike, it's not that these yeah. guys, you know, have to grind in order to get to that point where they could take care of their family. The salaries now well into the seven digits. You now have the luxury financially to walk away much earlier than their predecessors did. Urban can walk away right now and be good to go. Yep. yep. So uh, we'll talk about West Virginia after the break and uh, you know, a couple of teams that might struggle a little bit this year. Texas Tech, Iowa State, Kansas. We'll talk about those four teams in the Big 12 after the break. It's Mike and Rich on College Football Today. Ezekiel Elliott. Carl Anthony Towns. Corey Seager. Those are the rookies of the year. Much like the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. The fastest growing fantasy sports network on radio is completely free, 24-7. Listen to us live at fntsy.com slash radio or download the app right now in the Google Play Store or on iTunes. I think I think our producer, Pete Considori, was listening, Rich. This is like a 90s rock deal going here. So uh, playing us back on with some some hard rock. We got uh, 20 minutes left in the show, and then it's off to Weekend Fantasy Update with Joe Galena, Frank Stanfield, Mike Florio. After that, it will be the Father and Son Fantasy NASCAR Hour with Scott and Sean Engel. So uh, back to the Big 12, Rich. And we have what you think for West Virginia. I love this guy. I just love the personality. Like, you know, college mm. football is really good with personalities, and, yeah. and that's why I've always loved the sport. And Dana Holgerson is, like, right at the top of the list. I've read some really funny stuff about him. Ironically, mm. Bob Huggins on the basketball side of things, he, matching that personality yeah, in a lot opposite. of ways. So, yeah. yeah, they have uh, they have really good guys there. In any event, uh, you think this might be the best QB of the Dana Holgerson era in Florida yeah. transfer Will Greer? Yeah, just real quick on Dana. A lot of the theme of our show this morning has been on balance. I think it all, you know, sort of emanating from Bob Stoops at, at, at Oklahoma and his desire to step away. I read recently where Dana said he's going to delegate more this year because he looked at a photo of himself six years ago. And then he looked in the mirror and he said, I just didn't see the same man. And I want to live a long, healthy life for my family, which I found to be really revealing and, and fascinating. And he's going to delegate more. Jake Spavadol is the new offensive coordinator, young guy, uh, you know, worked with uh, Johnny Manziel, amongst others in the past. Uh, you know, I, I found that interesting that Dana, who is you know, such a Red Bull, high-wire type of a guy is now thinking this year that I'm going to delegate a little bit more to my staff. Easier said than done, though, don't you think? Yeah, especially somebody who has crafted and manufactured good offenses throughout his career from as far back when he was an assistant at Oklahoma State. Uh, but, you know, let's let's get into Will Greer a little bit. Uh, this is a quarterback who was four-star Began his uh, his college career at Florida. Got off to a great start, six and zero with the Gators. Then he gets sacked for PED use. Uh, missed all of last season. Now he's eligible for the opener against Georgia Tech. I, I think these could be exciting times when you when you discuss Dana plus Spavitol 
plus Will Greer and that wide-open West Virginia offense, I, I think this team could be a lot of fun to watch. They'll have balance with the ball. Justin Crawford, one of the top Big 12 running backs, so you can run it. You could throw it around the field. And listen, Will Greer has just been itching to get back onto the field. I think he's going to be a perfect fit for West Virginia and those wacky Mountaineer fans. Uh, and you also, to add to that, uh, his weapons is running back Justin Crawford and wide yep. receiver Kron White. So they have a sort of big three there in Morgantown that could uh, obviously challenge, even if the D isn't quite up to par. Hey, it's the Big 12. Uh, I mean, the Big 12, if you have offense, um, you got a shot to win a lot of football games. I, I look at West Virginia, Mike, as a poor man's Oklahoma State. They they got ravaged on defense. Love the safeties, by the way. I think both of their safeties, Kaiser White, uh, Drayvon Askew Henry, who missed uh, last season with an injury, both of those kids could play on Sunday. But they don't have enough depth. They don't have enough size, particularly up front, to compete week in, week out, win games with defense. I kind of really match them up with Oklahoma State. I think West Virginia can outgun teams, but they're going to have to win a lot of shootouts to get to, to eight or nine wins this season. And you said the back level, the back seven has next level kids there. Rasul Douglas, corner, was drafted this year out of West yep. Virginia, and they have some more kids that might follow in his footsteps, just as they did two years ago with the Raiders. Safety, I'm totally missing his name. First round pick. Uh, gosh, anyway, I'm blanking. Uh, I'll get it for you. But in any event, you say they have next level kids uh, for this, on this back seven of the defense. Yeah, and they're going to need it because if they're not making stops up front, uh, they had trouble getting to the quarterback last year. Now they're going to have four new starting defensive linemen. So I think they're going to struggle to get to the quarterback. I think they're going to have a hard time making plays at the line of scrimmage. So what happens? Naturally, a lot of those opponents are getting to the second and the third level. So you're going to need sure tacklers on the back end. And again, I want to throw that name out. Drayvon Askew Henry, when I've talked to Mountaineer staffers, when I've talked to Mountaineer beat writers, you know, they said this kid was poised to be the best West Virginia defender last year. And that was a better defense than this season. Missed the whole year. Now he gets to use his senior season as an audition for the NFL. So I expect him to be an all Big 12 caliber type safety. Carl Joseph was the player that I was thinking of, and Daryl Worley was also a player. Yeah. So in the last two years, West Virginia has had three players drafted out of their defensive backfield. So And they'll have more next team. season. Yeah, they'll have more That's next right. season. Right. So uh, talking about uh, some teams that have struggled uh, as of late in the Big 12, Talking about Texas Tech, this is all offense, zero defense. Cliff Kingsbury, what can he do? He's obviously on the hot seat because they have not had any success there, despite the fact that he's a Texas Tech guy. Mm. I, I think they're just disappointed that he hasn't been able to turn it around. Yeah, I, I think to some extent, Mike, he's he's a victim of his early success. I I, I think they started in his debut season 8-0, and and everybody was like, this guy, this guy is more than just his his uh, photogenic good looks. This guy is going to take us beyond where Mike Leach had us. And then they have just tailed off. I mean, they've been below 500 in Big 12 play. They've sort of sputtered year after year, 5-7 and seven last season, despite having Patrick Mahomes behind center. You know, there there's winning games with offense, and then there's 
you know, winning games with the totality of your program. Texas Tech has not been able to do it. I mean, they have a pitiful defense. I thought it was interesting that at the end of last season, the athletic director in Lubbock told Cliff Kingsbury, you have to devote part of your time to the defense in order for us to bring you back in 2017. And he has done that along with their coordinator, David Gibbs. He has spent more time in practice. He has spent more time in the weight room with his defenders. He has actually invested more into that defense than he ever has at Texas Tech. I don't think it's going to make a difference, but in terms of hot seat talk, Mike, I don't know if Texas Tech is going to do dramatically better. And let's not forget, Kingsbury is only 37 years old. So although it feels like he's been coaching there for a very long time, he is still very much in the early stages of his coaching career. So I still believe, even if this team hovers around 500, a distinct possibility, possibly below 500 this season, I kind of think Texas Tech ought to be patient with Kingsbury because better days are ahead, and you're not going to find uh, much better offensive minds in the game. Yeah, his last three years in the Big 12, three and six, four and five, and two and seven, so obviously yeah. struggling within the conference. Uh, quarterback Nick Shimanek is, mm-hmm. the, is the holder of the air raid attack for this season. Yeah, listen, everybody puts up big numbers. Shimanek is going to be no different. He's a veteran, began his career at Iowa. You know, one of the things that's kind of curious is they've lost receivers, strangely enough, to transfer. Jonathan Giles, their best wide receiver in 2016, has opted out of the program, did it late in the process. I believe it was in May, post-spring, when he announced that he was going to transfer elsewhere, that is a big hit for this program. But, I, you know, Shimanek's going to put up big numbers. They'll try to run the ball a little bit more than in the past in order to keep that defense off the field. But at the end of the day, you know, Shimanek is going to be the key, but so are players like Jawan Johnson, their safety, Jordan Brooks, their young linebacker. They're not going to win games with defense, but by God, you got to make a stop every now and again. You got to give a little more support to that offensive system. They were dead last in uh, FBS last year, allowing 43.5 points a game. 128. Wow, 43.5. That is staggering. Yeah, so it's, it's unbelievable. So uh, Iowa State, the next team I wanted to talk about quickly, it's Matt Campbell's second team. You think they can be sneaky tough in 2017? Yeah, what I'm going to say is. I mark it down at some point this season, Iowa State will not just cover as a 10 point plus underdog. They'll win a game in which they're an underdog by more than 10 points. I think they have that kind of a team. You touch on Matt Campbell, one of the really good young head coaches in college football, now in his second season, has an extra recruiting class, brought in some really good junior college players. They're never going to have the depth, the size, or the toughness of the Oklahomas, the Texases, the Oklahoma States. But offensively, they have a very, very good trio that they're going to build off of this season. I think they're going to be games where they're going to score 30, 35 points. They have a Georgia transfer quarterback in Jacob Park who played very well at the end of the season. They have arguably the best wide receiver in the conference in Alan Lazard and a one-two punch Mike in the backfield of David Montgomery and Mike Warren. So they're going to be balanced and potent on offense. Watch Iowa State. Not going to win the conference, but I think they could be a surprise team that picks up one of those Big 12 automatic bull berths at 6-6 six and six this year. 
That'll be interesting. I mean, they start off against Northern Iowa. Then they have uh, the in-state rivalry against Iowa, Akron, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas. They're off to the races with the conference schedule. So we'll see. Hopefully they do pick one pick one of those teams off. Yep. It would be interesting to watch. Uh, we'll talk about Kansas after the break, spend a minute or two on them. I want to go back to Texas Tech for a second because I was just thinking about something you had said. I'm with you. On Cliff Kingsbury, I think that if you are expecting to fire a guy that was your quarterback there and now is your head coach there and obviously gets some buzz in the recruiting game, you better damn well have the guy that's going to absolutely improve your program after him. Now, the defense is embarrassing, uh, so they have to fix it. But it is Lubbock, Texas, and I don't mean to keep bashing Big 12 towns. Mm-hmm. It's not the easiest place to recruit to. It's in Texas, but there's five better destinations in that state. And also, where's the tradition, Mike, too? I mean, not just it being Lubbock, but where is the tradition where people say, hey, I know for a fact you can win consistently at Texas Tech. Mike Leach is more of an anomaly in what he did there. Yeah, agreed. Come back, we'll talk Kansas and close out the show before Weekend Fantasy Update. It's Mike and Rich on College Football Today. We'll be back. It's the summer, but you can already feel the howl of the winter wind. You don't want to go to the beach. You want to break out that heavy coat and head for the stadium parking lot because nothing makes you feel warmer than football season. But you don't have to wait for the calendar to flip a few times at rotoexperts.com where fantasy football season has already started. The award-winning team at Roto Experts has you ready for the new campaign with the return of the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package for 2017. Packed with tons of in-depth insights from the industry's top experts, we get you fully prepared for a championship campaign with a deluxe draft package that includes projections, strategy articles, sleepers, busts, a cheat sheet generator, and so much more. And you're guaranteed additional access throughout the regular season. So put your gloves on now, even while it's hot outside, and get into mid-season form. Go to rotoexperts.com and register for the 2017 Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. Enter code free radio at checkout for a very special discount. His hand usage, I know it's nuts. Yeah. E Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Um, it's Mike and Rich. It's been fun to hang out today, Rich. It's a couple of hours in on college football. I feel like I got some of my chops back from my old college yeah. football writing days. So. Uh, it's been a good show. Thanks for having me. Uh, I've greatly enjoyed it, and i got to give you a lot of credit, Mike, for a guy who puts most of his focus on the NFL. You have not lost a bit when it comes to college football coverage. I love college football. It's just Rich and I were talking during the break. It's really it's nearly impossible to cover both sports with any kind of depth. Um, I, I know hosting shows is, is slightly easier because, look, Rich is the very knowledgeable, uh, experienced veteran analyst but for me uh, i'm a little bit deeper on the nfl it's too hard to cover both sports at the same time i give a lot of people out there credit that can do both it's just very hard for me to be able to do that and balance a family and any of that kind of stuff so nfl is my focus but college football is really i guess my first love and i became i was a new york city raised kid that loved college football which there wasn't a lot of us but i was addicted to it i i grew up a notre dame fan uh but i loved bc because i had cousins there 
Bear and Flutie and the whole thing. And then I get to BC, and Tom Coughlin is uh, the head coach there in my first three years at school. We had huge successes. I was at the game where they beat Notre Dame for the uh, walk-off field goal at the end of the 1993 season, at the end of Notre Dame's 1993 season. So uh, I have college football in my blood, and, and I love it. So thanks for letting me do this today. I hope to do it again someday. Absolutely. I enjoyed it greatly, Mike. So uh, we'll talk about the one last team to close it out, and that's Kansas. Mm -hmm. Uh, As you say here, it's arguably the worst P5 team. Thankfully, that classification doesn't go to Boston College any longer because you could have made that argument two years ago. Uh, But they're showing progress under David Beatty, and they have some talent at wide receiver at DL. Yeah, I I think they are showing progress, and it's going to be incremental steps. It's going to be baby steps. I don't think anybody expects anything different. Uh, I marvel when I look back at what Mark Mangino did uh, about a decade ago. Uh, Kansas played uh, in in the Orange Bowl. I I mean, that is just a a mind-boggling reality, what Mark Mangino was able to do in terms of developing talent, uh, the influx of junior college players that he was able to uh, complement his returning players with. David Beatty is, is is trying to do a similar type of a thing. He's got a lot of transfers, junior college transfers, uh, FBS transfers. He's brought in a couple of Alabama kids. He's got a quarterback uh, who began his career at Washington State. Um, in Peyton Bender, and and yeah, the wide receivers are all Big Twelve caliber. The defensive lineman, that is really going to be the calling card of Kansas this year. they got a couple of kids who I think can play in the NFL on the outside. Dorrance Armstrong, I would say, is somewhat similar to your BC guy and Harold Landry in that he's more of an outside linebacker but gets off the snap quickly, does a tremendous job of creating pressure in opposing backfields. And on the inside, Daniel Wise. So Armstrong and Wise for Kansas, they have a couple of kids who could be all Big 12 this season. Armstrong, without a question, will be. So, you know, they beat Texas late last year. They have a little bit of momentum to take in this season. They add the new offensive coordinator in Doug Meacham from TCU. So I think they're heading in the right direction. But again, baby steps in Lawrence. Uh, so there you go. That's it. Baby steps in Lawrence. Uh, you know, there's not a school with a bigger chasm probably between their yeah. high-profile basketball team and yeah. their relatively low-profile football team. It's always going to be tough there because you'll always be second fiddle. I think Kentucky football is familiar with this, but really mm-hmm. Kansas has had the toughest time winning national championships and being the worst Power 5 football team is tough. So good stuff. Those two hours of uh, college football talk. You can listen to us live every Saturday here from 10 to 12. Joe Lisi will be back hosting next week along with Rich. Rich, thank you for letting me hang out. I'd love to come on and talk ACC football or BC uh, one one of these Saturdays. Uh, You're always welcome, Mike. Had a great time. Hope you have an awesome weekend. Thanks. Good stuff. So that was four hours for me today, folks. Weekend Fantasy Update is next with Joe Galena, Frank Stample, and Mike Florio on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 8 a.m. on the Roto Experts.